You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. Trace, how we doing this morning? Everybody feeling all right? Getting in out of the cold a little bit? Man, glad you're here. We're excited for each and every one of you to be here to gather with us today. I'm pumped. I'm pumped about what the Lord has led me to share today, and we'll get into that in just a few moments. But can we just take a moment and give it up for our creative arts team who did this new stage design, and they put a lot of work into it. <clears throat> really appreciate those guys. Attention to detail, and uh, man, just thankful. And the reason that you see this, the reason we have a new stage design is because today we do cook off a new series called Retro. And the idea behind this series is for us to revisit some things that we potentially lost sight of, some things that we probably shouldn't have lost sight of, some things that should be timeless in our life. And so today we're actually going to be looking at the subject of church and God's original design for the church, because if we take an honest look at it, we've probably deviated a bit from what Jesus actually implemented about 2,000 years ago. But before we get there, uh, I think it'll actually be fun as we kind of have some fun with this retro idea. Let's revisit some things that maybe we should like leave in the past, or maybe we should, maybe we should bring them back. So let's have some fun with this. How about this right here? For those of you with kids, yeah, if I don't ever see another fidget spinner, is that what it's called? The rest of my life, like I'm good. Like these things drove me nuts. I have four kids and that's all I heard for about a year. What about this ladies? Here we go. Bring it back. Bring back the 80s bangs. Let's do it. Come on. Come on, that's what I'd love to see. Man, that would be great. We should have an 80s theme weekend here one weekend. That'd be great. How about this one? Flip phone. Now, for those of you that um, are like 20 years old or younger, like this is called a flip phone. And uh, this is what we used to have. And some would say that like the smartphone uh, is probably been one of the biggest devastations to our society. There's a lot of good science behind that. I'm not going to sit here and get up on a soapbox about any of that. But a lot of psychologists are saying, hey, like, you would do yourself good to go back to a flip phone. But some of you are thinking, no, we need to go back even further than that because this is what I remember. Yeah, yeah, the old rotary phone. How many of you guys actually had one of these ever? I remember my grandparents did. I didn't personally, but my grandparents did. I'm not that old. And so uh, I just called everybody old in here that raised their hand. I apologize. Next one really quick, the mullet. Yeah, a little throwback to the mullet, the Kentucky waterfall. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to bring it, bring it back. And then... Handbells in the church. How many of you guys grew up with handbells? Yeah. Now, I'm not a bragging man, but uh, you don't know this about your pastor, but I used to rock a mean set of handbells back in First Baptist Church of Paris, Kentucky. And so you never know, it may pull them back out one of these days. Uh, is that the last one? Was there? No, oh, this one, the map. Uh, how many of you guys have never used a map, be honest, never used a car map to find your way to a specific yeah, place, a point? Yeah. Several of you, yeah. This is something I do remember using with my family, with my mom. We'd pull out the map and we'd be yelling. It's like, no, no, take it right now. No, no, and we couldn't, didn't, like, I don't want to bring this back. I'm good with the smartphone uh, showing me the GPS of where I need to go. Well, this past week, I was looking at some different names of uh, what you call uh, animals when they gather together. It's called collective nouns. So like when a group of animals comes together, they have a specific name that they go by, and you get this, like a group of lions is called a pride, yeah, so these are called collective nouns. Um, a group of sheep is called a flock. A group of crows, anybody? How did, man, so many people knew that in the last service too, I had no idea, you guys are smarter than me. How about this, a group of flamingos, anyone? A flamboyant, yes, someone knew it. So when your kids or teenagers are acting up and being overly dramatic, just call them a bunch of flamingos. How about this, a group of vultures, anyone? It's called, it's called a committee. Yeah, 
says a lot about Washington, doesn't it? Moving on, moving on. What about a group of humans? Maybe we would call it a family. Some of us would call it a community. Maybe some of us would call it a tribe. But 2,000 years ago, when a bunch of humans got together for the sake of glorifying God and advancing his gospel, Jesus called it his church. And his original design of what this was intended to be, guys, it was, it was beautiful, it was powerful, it pushed through opposition, and it's probably the, the greatest agent of change that this world has ever seen. But since its inception, since the time of Jesus actually implementing this into the world, we've deviated from its original purpose. And because we've deviated from it, I think we should take some time to go back and to remember what its original purpose was. Some of these deviations led to things like denominations. And again, denominations aren't altogether bad. There's some things that can be bad about denominations. Most of us probably grew up uh, in some kind of denomination, and uh, that was just something that kind of happened. And those, those denominations started to take form in the late t- 1700s, early 1800s. And so really quick, just to kind of get, get a sample of who's in the room with us today, how many of you guys grew up and have a past in like Catholicism? Past Catholics? Anybody raise your hand? Yeah, give me some crowd participation here. About Methodists? Okay, what about Lutherans? Any Lutherans in the room? All right, few. Presbyterians? Okay, where are my Baptists at? Where are the Baptists? All right. Yep. How about uh, Pentecostals? You're like, yay, yes. Yes. <laughs> How about no church background? Anybody? Just, I didn't grow up in the church. Good. I'm so glad you're here. And what we need to be careful with, and what we need to, and really this is where a lot of these denominations took form, is we have a tendency to bring into any church that we're a part of, we bring in past experiences, we bring in our opinions, and what happens is sometimes we make our opinions doctrine, where we come in and it's like, no, no, this is the way that church is supposed to be done. And this is what caused a lot of division in uh, the history of the church, specifically when the denominations started to take form. And you probably don't know this, but you're sitting in a church right now that's rooted in something called the Restoration Movement. It started in the early 1800s by a group of guys that saw all the division that was coming in between these denominations, and they were like literally fighting each other over doctrine and how the church should be run and all those kind of things. And so these group of guys came together And they kind of put themselves underneath this banner, this statement that said, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, love. In other words, let's get back to the main thing. Let's revisit what God actually intended for his church to be in the very beginning and get back to the simplicity of the gospel, to learn about the gospel, but also to live it out. And so this is called the restoration movement. It's the part of, uh, it's the movement that we are a part of as Trace Church. But at some point, you know this as well as I did, I do, like we deviated. And I personally believe that every deviation that we make within the church from its original design becomes a distraction. Right? You get this. You know people and I know people who would point to things about the church, almost never Jesus, but they would point to things about the church and they say, see, that's that's why I don't want to be a part of that. And oftentimes what they would point to, if you ask me, is not something that was a part of the original church. It's a deviation that we've made along the way. And your friends and my friends and people you love and people I love point to those things and say, you know what? No thanks. And so I think it'd be incredibly valuable for us today to just slow down 
And as we start this retro series and we look at things that we should potentially bring back, I don't know if there's a more important subject than the original purpose of the church, right? I mean, if we're going to devote our lives to this, if this is going to be one of the most important parts of our life and we're going to devote our life to it, wouldn't it make sense that we know how to define it, right? Because not only should we know about this, like our lives should be demonstrating what the church is supposed to be. But I would never, I don't think I could ever encourage you to demonstrate something if you don't even know how to accurately define it. And so today I want to slow down and I want to make sure that we're defining it correctly. And let me add a word of emphasis there. And the reason I'm so passionate about this subject is because I really do believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Now, some people would see this statement and they would say, no, 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 Aaron, that Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen to that. And the local church should be representing Jesus better than anything else. And so when I say it's the hope of the world, that is the way that Jesus intended it to be when he started it 2,000 years ago. And not only do I believe that the local church is the hope of the world, stay with me, I believe the local church should be representing hope to this world. Because when the local church doesn't represent hope, when the local church doesn't point to hope, when the local church doesn't invite people in to hope, I promise you that is one of the greatest deviations and indictments the church could ever be given. And so we need to slow down and we need to come back and we need to look, what was God's original purpose for his church? And you know as well as I do, there are a lot of people that would point to things about church and why they've chosen to steer clear of it because they just didn't see hope in it. I had a friend of mine who told me about a year and a half ago that he was done with the church. I'm done. I don't, I don't think it's important enough. I don't, you know, he didn't like walk away from his faith in Jesus, but he's like, I just, I'm done with the church. And I hate to say this, but unfortunately I'm having these conversations more and more with people where they're just kind of giving up on the church. And so I need to let you know this because I'm observing this at, um, at a broader, you know, from a broader scale with a lot of people, but there are a few people I know really well that I get to pay attention to how that's working in their life. And for what it's worth, there was like a movement about a decade or, a decade or so ago uh, where people were wanting to gather in their homes. It was called a house church movement. It's like, hey, we're just going to meet in each other's homes. We're not going to do these big gatherings in these buildings. And for what it's worth, it flopped. A lot of people thought like that was going to be the answer for the new church, but it flopped. And I still see people try to do this. And my friend who I just mentioned said that this is what he was going to do. And I've watched as church and his faith and the faith of his kids have become less and less and less important. And so I think I can make this statement with almost certainty. Almost never, listen to me, almost never, almost never does decreased church attendance increase devotion to God. Can I say it again? Almost never does decreased church attendance increase our devotion to God. And so I believe that God wants us to gather together like what we're doing today. I think this is an aspect of what Jesus implemented 2,000 years ago, and we're going we're gonna to look at that. And before you walk away or anybody else you know walks away, maybe we should just pause and heed the statement from G.K. Chesterton that says, never take down a fence until you know why it was put up. And so I think we should probably start with the most basic of questions. <laughs> what is the church? Like, what is it? What was it when Jesus originally put it into place and spoke on the subject? What was he talking about? 
The first time that we see the subject of church come up is in Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus is hanging out with his fellows, his boys, and uh, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, but uh, he's probably in a moment where they're kind of kicking back, there's not a whole lot going on, and he looks at his, his boys, and he's like, guys, what do people say about me? Like, when I'm not around, like, who, who do people say that I am? And some of them speak up, and they're like, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you kind of have the spirit of Elijah or another prophet like Jeremiah. And then he looks to Peter. He said, what about you, man? Peter, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, pay attention to what I've got underlined here, we're going to spend some time here, and on this rock I will build my church, first time that we ever see Jesus use this word, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now believe it or not, this is a passage that holds with it incredible theology, Uh, Our Catholic brothers and sisters would take this passage to be the moment where Jesus um, implements the papacy. Uh, In other words, he's he's ordaining Peter in this moment to be the very first pope. Now, I don't believe this, and a lot of other scholars uh, don't believe this. I'm not saying I'm a scholar, uh, but a lot of scholars would say that Jesus is actually pointing to something completely different here. And I want to point that out to you today. And to do this, we're going to have to look at some of the Greek meaning. If you're new to church, the whole New Testament is written in Greek and we translate it into English. And so sometimes going back and looking at the original Greek is very informative and I think it will be for us today. So stay with me. I'm going to read this to you differently. He says this, and I tell you, this is Jesus again talking, and I tell you that you are Peter. Now the word for Peter in the Greek is rock. And the Greek word, or that's the the meaning of it. The Greek word is petros. Petros, keep that in mind. So I tell you that you are Petros, Peter. And that's the masculine form of the Greek word here. Stay with me, I promise you this is important. And I tell you that you are Petros. And on this, another, right here, so again, Peter means rock, and now he's also using the illustration of a rock. He says, and I tell you that you are Petros, and on this Petra. So here he uses a different form of the Greek. It's called the feminine form of the word, which means he's pointing to something different. And on this Petra, I will build my ecclesia. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You see, Jesus is not saying, Peter, I'm going to build this on you. Go down just a few more verses, and he has to rebuke Peter for saying that you don't need to die, Jesus, and you you don't need to raise on the third day and all this kind of stuff. And this is that moment where Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So he's not building the church on Peter. More importantly, he's not building it on any other person other than himself, but what he's pointing to, and on this Petra, what is he talking about? He's talking about the declaration that Peter just made. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This declaration. And I tell you, Peter, Petra, Petra, sorry, I tell you, Peter, Petros, that on this Petra, on this declaration that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church. Now, this makes a lot more sense. Because in order for you to be a, become a part of the family of God, in order for you to be invited into his ecclesia, into his church, you have to make a declaration that says, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and I believe that I'm a sinner and that I needed him to die on the cross for me. And when you do that and it's sincere and it's a heartfelt decision, you actually join the family of God and his church is being built on that. This makes 
a lot more sense. On this Petra, on this declaration, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Now, I think it's important that we also do a study on the word church. Because, again, this is the first time that we see Jesus use it. And so what is, what's he talking about? What's he building? On this Petra, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But what is, what is that? Is it a building? Is that what he's looking to do? Is he's going to build a building where we show up once a week to, to worship him, some of you once a month? Let's get real, right? Okay. Are we going to have like a band and we're going to have lights and we're going to have haze and this is going to be what this means? No. Now, are these things bad? No, guys. Everything that we do here are tools that are used to leverage our influence, to build environments so that the church, so that you can actually learn what it looks like to live out your faith. This is just a different style. It's a method. We'll change our methods, but the mission of God will never change. And so is this wrong? Is it bad? No, but it's not the church. The church was never meant to be a meeting place. The church was always intended to be a movement. And so the original Greek word for church that we see is ekklesia, which means the called out ones. It was a gathering, it was an assembly, and Jesus actually took this word because it was being used in other contexts. It wasn't a new word. Oftentimes this word was being used in the context of a herald coming into a community, a town, and he would yell out, hey, everyone come out of their homes. We've got a, a speaker coming, or the, you know, there's a governor coming, or we need to talk about something that's happening, there's a plague or whatever. And so he would call people out of their homes to assemble together, to gather together. But then Jesus takes this word, and as he does with a lot of things, he reshapes them for, for, for something much greater. He's calling us out to gather for a greater purpose. And so can I pause here and ask you to make this more personal? What is Jesus calling you out of? Because I believe he is. What is he calling you out of? And maybe more importantly, what's he calling you into? Maybe he's calling you out of an addiction maybe an affair, maybe a struggle with pornography, maybe he's calling you out of your pride, selfishness, maybe he's calling you out of greed. I promise you Jesus is calling you out of something that we have a tendency to get stuck in, and he's calling us into something much greater. And in this moment, he's calling us into a movement, the ecclesia of Jesus, not a meeting place, but a movement that he wants us to be a part of that was meant to take his gospel and spread it to the entire world. And maybe the best place that we see what is supposed to happen in this gathering, in the ecclesia of Jesus, we get a really good picture of this in Acts chapter 2. And let me set the stage for you. At this point, Jesus has died and been resurrected. He ascends into heaven. And when he ascends to, into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down. We call this the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And people receive the Holy Spirit. And then they begin to gather together. And I've underlined the actionable items in this passage to show you what church, wherever you go to church, wherever you're a part of a church, should actually be representing these things. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so there should be teaching involved, and to fellowship, community, building community together, and to the breaking of bread. This would have actually been communion, all things that we do here, and to prayer. We do these things each and every week. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, I think this is hyperbole a little bit. It's hyperbolic, which they didn't have everything in common, but they had a lot in common, especially when it was centered around the gospel. They sold property 
and possessions to give. In other words, uh, giving was a big aspect of their gathering together. And again, these guys didn't have a lot of money, and so they had to sell things in order just to have money to make sure that other people's needs were being taken care of. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, I've talked with people in the past, I want to pause there for a second, who have criticized the way that we do church today. Not like we, but the church at large, where it's like, you know, you guys... The church wasn't about meeting in these big buildings and these big gatherings. That's my best voice of somebody who's disgruntled about church. And it's like, well, this is not the way that it's supposed to be done and blah, 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 blah. And I bring them back to this passage every day, not once a week for an hour. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. You know what that means? It was a large gathering of people. It was a large gathering that would come together every day. They broke bread in their homes. So now we actually see them doing life together. Right? We talk about Galatians 6 a lot around here. We're, we're called to carry one another's burdens, and by doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ. You can't carry someone else's burdens if you're not doing life with them. And so that's why we call it group life here at Trace. We want you to be in a group. We want you to experience this. And so this is what we see in the early church. They broke bread in their homes. They did life together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God, right? Making everything about what they did was about God. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily for those who were being saved. You know what we don't see here? We don't see an organization. We don't see an establishment. We don't see an institution. What we see was more like a, it's more like a family. When we started this church about three and a half years ago, and that's all I wanted. I wanted to have a bunch of people that were like-minded. We're not alike in all things, but like-minded in the mission that we wanted to accomplish together. And we just felt like a big family. Over the next 120 years, the church both experienced incredible growth, but insane persecution. They had incredible odds that they had to overcome underneath some Roman emperors like Nero and Domitian and Vespasian and Claudius. These guys killed Christians for sport. But it was almost as if the persecution and the opposition that was against the early church caused them to come together to remember what we carry with us is precious. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the odds in front of us. It doesn't matter the persecution that's coming in our direction because the message of the gospel, that there's a message that comes through Jesus Christ and his saving grace that can save people from their sins and save people from hell and give them an opportunity to have salvation in Christ, that message is too precious. It's okay if we lose our life in the process. And for the first 120 years, listen to me, under the most extreme persecution is also where we see the most explosive growth that the church has ever experienced. And again, when I say persecution, man, these, these Christians were, they were hanged, they were burned, they were crucified. Some of them would be dipped in tar and put on a stake and be lit on fire to light the streets at night. And also to point to potential people who were going to convert to this movement. Hey, I don't know if you want to do this. Because if you do, you may be signing your, your death sentence. And all because they wouldn't recognize Caesar as God. But the message they carried, let me say it again, the message they carried was way too precious to ever give up. And instead of just church being about a meeting place, this movement gained incredible momentum. And then something interesting happens. In the early, uh, early fourth century, there's a new Roman emperor in town, and his name is Constantine. 
And Constantine, to everyone's surprise, actually becomes a Christian. And because he becomes a Christian, he actually legalizes Christianity. And once this happens, people start building buildings because it's like, hey, it's safe now. We don't have to do this in hiding. And so they started to build buildings. A lot of times they would build buildings around where martyrs had died, martyrs of the faith. And they would build buildings there, or sometimes they would dig up the bodies of the martyrs and take some relics back to these houses of worship uh, and put them underneath the altar as a way to you know, make it feel like a holy place. And as this continued to happen, the ecclesia of Jesus, which was never supposed to be a meeting place, always supposed to be a movement, was starting to be associated with a place, a meeting place of worship. And so with time, as the Bible began to be translated into other languages, there was a point where it was going to be translated into German. And so as the Germans are looking at what the church is, Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. Well, what is church? Oh, it's, it's these buildings. And so they interpreted the word ecclesia into the German word kirka. Because kirka means house of God. And that's what it looked like happened. The, this, this place that people come to and worship, it's a house of God. And so I guess that's what church is. And then, of course, later with time, the Bible was translated into English, and so Kirka took on its English counterpart for the word church. And most scholars would tell you today, one of the worst translations in your New Testament is this word. And every time you read through the New Testament, when you see the word church, it should be replaced with the word assembly or gathering, or movement, or the called out ones. But church is not what it is. It was never intended to be a meeting place. It was always intended to be a movement. And once these houses of worship kind of became the focus, listen to me, because this is where the deviation just goes crazy. Once these houses of worship became the focus, whoever was in charge of these buildings, they had the power, both over the people and how the scriptures would be interpreted. Again, a lot of these people... Uh, didn't know how to read. They were illiterate. And so the people who were in charge of the buildings held the power and could tell people, no, this is what the scripture means. And they used it and manipulated people to the point of just evil. And this new kind of institutionalized church ultimately even took charge of the government, which gave way to some of the biggest atrocities that the church has ever seen. Maybe you've heard of something called the Crusades. Guys, when we deviate, I think this goes for a lot of things. When we deviate from something's original design, there's often destruction. Can I say it again? When we deviate from something's original design, there's often destruction. And with this abuse of control, it became commonplace for the leaders of the church, imagine this, the leaders of the church to have people imprisoned, hanged, and burned for not believing and not behaving the way that the institution or the church said that you were supposed to. Did you catch the irony? How ironic is it that the same persecution the early church had to overcome is exactly what they began to repeat? That's what happens when we decide to come in, and even though God was incredibly clear on what he wanted this thing called the ecclesia of Jesus to be, when we start saying, you know what, let's do this instead. Let me bring my opinions to the table. Let me tell you what I think it should be like in absolute power brings about absolute corruption. Now, you know as well as I do that we've come a long way since then, right? The ecclesia of Jesus has come a long way since then, but if we really want to take back like what originally Jesus implemented when he said, 
Peter on this declaration, I'm going to build my church, we should probably ask ourselves some questions. And so let's begin with this one right here. Are you just moving? Or are you moving? Or just meeting? Like, make these personal. Are you joining this movement? Or are you just meeting? Next question. Are we making a difference in our communities or just consuming? Like when you come here, it's like, man, I just need to go to church and I need to get something out of it and then I'm going to go on and kind of do my own thing and live my everyday life because that was never what Jesus intended. He always wanted you to be a part of this movement, to be a part of the process, to find purpose in his ecclesia. What about this question? Are we organized around mission and motive or an antiquated ministry model of a previous generation? Now, I'm not trying to throw other churches underneath the bus, but most of the churches that I experienced growing up are not the kind of churches that I want to replicate. And it's not because they're altogether bad, because I really don't believe that, but I believe it is an antiquated ministry model that has deviated from God's original design. And so we need to continue to ask these questions. Next one. If we believe the local church is the hope of the world, are we allocating our resources accordingly? Or are you just consuming? Again, a big part of the early church was to contribute to the advancement of the gospel through whatever gathering that you were a part of. These were all over the place, just like there's churches all over the place. Last question. Are we going to join the ecclesia of Jesus, which is what he originally implemented 2,000 years ago, or are we just going to settle for Kirka? Just a meeting place. A place to come and a place to leave. And when I come, I hopefully get something. When I leave, I'll go on with my everyday life. You see, you can lock the doors of a church, but you can't lock the doors of the ecclesia of Jesus because it is a movement that will never, it will storm the gates of hell. It will never dissipate. Whether or not you're a part of it or not, God says, hey, I'm inviting you to be a part of this. You can find purpose here, but you can also walk away if you want. My hope is that you would find purpose in it. This is why I often end our service times by looking at that statement. That's our mission, on mission statement, to leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go. And when you walk out those doors, I will often look at you and say, remember today, you're not leaving the church, but you're leaving as God's church. And your life, listen to me, your life and your influence, it matters. I believe that there's somebody out there that you have influence over and their best chance to ever experience the hope of the world is through you. That's why when we leave here, we're leaving on mission. We're not leaving the church. We're leaving as his church, the ecclesia of Jesus, what he implemented originally for us to be a part of. Something that doesn't settle, but something that strives to keep the gospel our main thing and to bring it to as many people as possible. That's what Jesus has invited you into. Now, I don't want to diminish that what we do in here on Sunday is not important. It is, but I think what you do outside of those doors is probably more important. But again, I don't want to diminish what we do in here. Let me remind you of what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Notice the next line, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what are we? We're family. Maybe we could say this. We're, we're the Trace tribe. It sounds a little bit cultish, but I still like the ring of it. <laughs> Guys, I don't want you to just come here. Listen to me. I don't want you to just come here. 
I want you to belong here. I want you to find a sense of belonging. I want you to share in the mission because you have a part to play in the ecclesia of Jesus. The question really is, have you accepted it? Have you accepted it? I want us to gather together. I want us to grow together, but most importantly, I want us to go together to represent the hope of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Jesus is calling you out of something and he's calling you in to something much greater. And when we all do that together, I believe that we show people that the local church is the hope of the world. Guys, don't be passive. Don't be passive about the ecclesia of Jesus. Find purpose in it. Because what Jesus implemented 2,000 years ago is what he wants you to be 100% invested in today. His ecclesia. Not a location. A movement. Not a place you can come and just consume. But a place where we come and we grow together and then we go together. Which is what I want to talk about next as we go into our response time. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to enter a time of response. Father, thank you for clarity. Uh, Lord, I'm sure there are a lot of people today that didn't know a lot of what I just explained. And how could we ever demonstrate something if we don't know how to accurately define it to begin with? And so, Father, as we're learning maybe this for the first time together today, Father, that we would start to think about what you are calling us out of and what you're calling us into. I believe you're calling everyone in this room out of something. And I don't think this is just a question that we can come to every now and then. I believe it's a consistent question that we need to revisit in our life. God, what are you calling me out of or what are you calling me away from right now so that you can call me into something much greater? And so God, as we enter this time of response, I pray that everyone in this room is opening their mind and their heart and their soul up to you to be able to hear exactly what that is for them. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.